from MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts. It's the show all about your animals and the animals around you. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. And Libby Hartfield is retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. On today's show, we're talking crawfish with Dr. Bob Jones from the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Call them crawfish, crayfish, bud bugs, or maybe even freshwater lobsters. We're going to talk about all things crawfish today and how they affect the world around you. Also, Dr. Major here, ready to take some pest pet questions. It's an interactive show, so join our conversation this morning with your phone calls. one 877 mpb ring The phone number is one 672 7464 or send us an email, animals at mpbonline.org. This is Creature Comforts from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio, the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. We're talking crawfish on today's show with Dr. Bob Jones from the Museum of Natural Science. Call them crawfish, crayfish, mud bugs, maybe even freshwater lobsters. We'll talk all things crawfish today and how they affect the world around you. Dr. Major here, ready to take your pet questions. It is an interactive show each week, so we encourage your phone calls at one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one 7464 You can email the show animals at mpbonline.org. Two chances to hear the program each week. The original broadcast Thursday mornings at 9 and a repeat broadcast Saturday morning at 6. So good morning. Hope everyone is doing well this morning. Good morning. Good, good morning. Good morning. Um, Libby, you had a couple things going on at the museum that you wanted to talk about. Yeah. Uh, tomorrow night, Friday, April the 21st, from 6 to 8 o'clock, um, Nathan Peplo is speaking at the museum, and he's a big authority on birding by ear. And, you mm-hmm. know, that's uh, we're kind of fans of that here on Creature Comforts because it's so radio-friendly. That's right. And uh, it's... Uh, it, it, certainly, it's it's not even a new craze, I guess. People have always birded by ear. But now, uh, I think technology has helped us take it to another level. And Nathan's got a new book coming out. And he's a real master at um, giving you some techniques that help you listen to birds and then figure out what which bird it is. So that'll be uh, tomorrow night at the Natural Science Museum, 6 o'clock to... Actually, I think it's the 7.30. And... Um, Sounds like a fun thing to do. I'm going to be there. All right. And then our friend Adam Ronke is getting together another naturalist, master naturalist class. It starts May the 9th, and he's going to do these on Tuesday nights, and I kind of wish I'd waited to do it during this time. It's going to be <laughs> at local restaurants every Tuesday wow. night for several weeks, and then he's got four Saturdays when you do your field work. So it sounds like a fun way to learn a lot of good information. He brings all kinds of natural sin. Bob, I think you're sometimes on schedule teaching them about turtles, aren't you? 
Not that I'm aware of. George has done it. Oh, okay. You may be be getting a phone call. We'll see. But anyway, lots of people that we've had on the show help teach the course, and it's a lot of fun. If you want to learn a lot more about what you're seeing in your backyard, just go on Master Naturalist Extension Service, Mississippi State. All right. Uh, if uh, you'd like to join the program this morning with your call, it is at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can also send an email to animals at mpbonline dot org. Now, I was out of town last week, and I didn't hear about any of these, but apparently there were a number of creature sightings around the state. Uh, there was an alligator by the Warren County Elementary School. This is the one that gets me a black bear running the streets of Natchez and yeah. an all-white squirrel in Ocean Springs. So, um, Yeah, wh- that little black bear looked pretty terrified. <laughs> Did you see? Yeah. <laughs> Reporters taking his picture. It wasn't, wasn't. A, but you also heard about the great big one. Mm-mm. It's mm-hmm. at the Science Museum now in the freezer. Oh, the bear. Yeah, yeah. the big bear. Yeah, not another alligator. Big bear. Yeah. And what? Almost... 500 pounds, I think? 460, 460, I think. 460, like a great big... Yeah, sad in that uh, uh, it was hit by a truck, and I, you know, scared the, the driver very yeah. badly. Yeah. And uh, But he wasn't harmed, and but it did kill the bear. So the bear is at the museum, and they're talking about what they can do to to use them for educational purposes. All right. And I would imagine the elementary school in Warren County somewhere near a body of water um, yeah, for an alligator I, to come that way. <laughs> yeah. That, that would have been uh, an interesting uh, one also. But uh, Yeah, I bet that alligator wasn't happy either. I don't, I don't think he... <laughs> Actually, I was up uh, visiting my mother in upstate New York, not too far from where uh, April the giraffe was. Really? Yeah. Huh? That's, uh, I think, Harpersville, New York uh-huh. is where, but that was, uh, my aunt came to visit one day, and she was uh, had been watching the, the live camera and everything, so she was keeping up on it and sending updates to her friends across the country, but that re- that was really uh, made uh, national news, but uh, apparently the uh, the baby uh, giraffe is, is doing quite well, so. Uh, a- any other sort of run-ins with nature, any that, uh, that you all know of or that you have uh, witnessed personally? Bob's going to have, oh, just all the birds that are coming back. I've got my indigo buntings back on the feeder, uh, lots of hummingbirds, and I heard the summer tanagers a couple of times. I think it looks like I've got two males, but when they do the little clicking sound, that put the, kind of a sound yeah, that's, that's not um, just the song. That's a call. That's sometimes just um, it, uh, sort of a warning call or, or here I am, but I'm not singing fully but so does that mean the females there are not there i wondered i haven't seen any females they may not be there they're they're establishing territories right now so the the males are kind of vying for where they're going to be but those that's pretty cool i haven't seen rose-breasted grosbeaks and it's killing me because everybody's posting pictures of them (laughs) yeah absolutely beautiful you get them sometimes don't you hadn't seen any this year though yeah they were at the museum last week, so, so they, right. they're moving around. Yeah. Another reason to go uh, by the museum there yeah. to see what the, all the birds that are there. Uh, so, Dr. Major, also, I guess, distemper in the news recently. Uh, <laughs> remind us what that is and, and, uh, and what we should be concerned about with pets. Yeah, I, you may be referring to the pearl episode. I'm not sure. But uh, anyway, distemper is uh, very contagious to young dogs. 
uh, and where you have concentrations of dogs, such as a pound or uh, adoption area, uh, if an animal is exposed and is unvaccinated, and even vaccinated with one or two shots as a young uh, animal that doesn't have really good immunity, uh, certainly they can get distemper. Now, distemper can affect every part of the body. Uh, it can cause diarrhea. It can cause vomiting. It can cause, usually you think of distemper, you think of a respiratory issue, uh, mucousy nose and eyes. But it can affect the whole body. And even if a dog recovers from distemper, there can be some central nervous uh, symptoms, uh, system symptoms that may last for a lifetime. Uh, seizures, uh, twitching, this sort of thing. So it, it's a very serious disease. And it's very important on our puppies to vaccinate starting at about six weeks of age uh, every three weeks until they're about four months old. Okay. Uh, also, I saw something online that said uh, male cats are more likely to uh, knock things off, uh, well, to be destructive in, in a house uh, than female cats are. And they said that one of their favorite things to do is, is knock things off of counters and such. So uh, a revelation, my, I know my cat does that a lot, and so yeah, it, he, he's a male for sure. So It just depends on the cat uh, <laughs> and whether or not they're happy with you or whether they're just doing it for entertainment. Yeah, I think and, uh, uh, that's quite possible. A lot of times cats will get you back for something that you may or may not have done, <laughs> uh, whatever the cat thinks. But uh, remember that saying about uh, if cats could talk, they wouldn't. <laughs> and uh, they they have actions that can show you how they feel. Uh, I, I have a female at the house now that uh, actually came from China. It was, was a feral cat. My daughter brought back from China, and uh, which was she loves the cat, so I can't say too much about it. <laughs> on the other hand, that cat wants to be on top of everything and has knocked off quite a few things, so yeah. including. Wi-Fi, and <laughs> so so it, it depends on the cat, okay? Well, in my case, I think I've come to realize for the most part when he does something like that, it means that he wants some food. So, well, uh, that's actually, I've realized that's what 90% of the interaction with my cat is. It's like, I would like some food now, please. So, <clears throat> uh, so we're going to be talking, uh, well, first, uh, our, our guest is Dr. Bob Jones from the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Bob, thanks for joining us today. Good to be here. So let's uh, get it uh, off here right off the top. Crayfish, crawfish, or should we just say mud bugs? Any term you want to use. That's a regional <laughs> variant term in the Midwest. They call them crawdads or crawdads. Uh, in Louisiana, they call them uh, mud bugs. Generally, in the north, they're called crayfish, but in the south, it's crawfish. But they're all acceptable. All right. And so what exactly is a crawfish? Well, it's an invertebrate, and technically it's classified as a decapod crustacean, which means it's got ten legs, and the crustacean part means it's related to shrimp, lobsters, and crabs. I, I was thinking about that this morning. It's like uh, certainly uh, in food, crawfish and shrimps are, are related, so it's good to know that in, in life that they are as well. Uh, what about different kinds of crawfish here in Mississippi? We've got 54 described species, um, and maybe as many as 10 undescribed. So uh, in the U.S., there are about 380 species. We're in the top five states uh, with crawfish diversity. So uh, we're not as diverse as Alabama or Tennessee or Georgia, but they have mountains and we don't. 
but we're doing real well in terms of our diversity. Uh, described versus undescribed, what does that mean? Described is a crawfish that has been scientifically named by someone who's working on crawfish. Undescribed uh, means that some of these guys have looked at the crawfish and they said, you know, this may be a separate species, but we haven't gotten to the point where it's studied enough that we can put a name on it yet. All right. Uh, We need to take a quick break. When we get back, we will continue talking about crawfish with our guest, Dr. Bob Jones. Also, Dr. Major here, ready to take some pet questions. And we mentioned some wildlife sightings. Have you seen anything out there uh, when you've been out and about uh, in your area? If so, give us a call because the phone lines are now open at 1-877-MPB-RING. 1-877-672-7464. That's the way to get in touch with us on Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Back with more after this. Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. We're talking crawfish today with Dr. Bob Jones, our guest from the museum. Also, Dr. Major here, ready to take some pet questions. And as I mentioned earlier, if you've had a brush with wildlife recently, give us a call and let us know about it. We'd be glad to hear about that as well. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. You can send us an email to animals at mpbonline.org. So, Bob, when we talk about uh, crawfish, uh, what do they look like in maybe terms of size and, and that sort of thing? Well, the largest ones in Mississippi can be six to seven inches long if you stretch them out. The smallest are some of the dwarf crawfish, and as adults, they're less than a half inch, a half inch long in oh, wow. certain cases. They're very small. They generally look like juveniles, and you don't really notice that they're adults until you see a female carrying a bunch of eggs. And uh, with a nickname of mud bugs, I guess we can maybe kind of guess what kind of habitat, but where, where do they like to hang out? Well, they're aquatic. They mm-hmm. have to keep their gills moist. Uh, a lot of crawfish in Mississippi are in streams and rivers and ponds. But we do have what uh, Joe Fitzpatrick, who used to be uh, one of the uh, more foremost uh, crawfish people in the southeast, he described Mississippi as having what he called uh, a well-developed roadside ditch fauna, which means we have a lot of species that uh, seem to preferentially occur in ephemeral waters. They're out when the water's out there, and when it dries up, they burrow down, and you don't see them anymore. Uh, we also have a couple of groups of crawfish that never really occur in standing water on the surface. They're burrowers. Uh, there's one group that's in the pitcher plant bogs of South Mississippi, 
And then another group uh, occurs on our prairie areas in both the Jackson Prairie and the Black Belt Prairie. Uh, two of them in this area are the uh, what's, what's called the Jackson Prairie Crawfish and then the Southern Prairie Crawfish. But they live on hilltop uh, areas. Um, they dig burrows that may be eight feet deep or deeper down to the water table. And they're usually active mostly in the winter when it's cooler and wetter. But during the summer, they'll plug the burrow and stay underground for six to eight months if they have to. Um, so what about uh, their role in, in the various types of habitats where they, they live? Well, just about everything eats crawfish. Uh, fish, uh, raccoons, um, even cats will eat them if they can catch them. <laughs> um, but they're also, uh, crawfish eat uh, their predators. They'll eat whatever they can scavenge. They'll also eat vegetation if they can't get anything else. So they're kind of uh, low on the food chain, but they're very important to aquatic systems. Interesting about the cat, uh, there is a lung fluke that the catfish carries. And occasionally we'll see a cat that uh, has been out hunting, eating crawfish, and will have this lung fluke. Right. Really? Wow. Yeah. Well, it's huh. that can be transmitted to humans as well. There was um, oh. there's a TV show called Monsters <laughs> Within or something like that. And a good old boy from Arkansas was out fishing, and um, they weren't catching many fish. And a bet was made, and beer was involved, and he ate raw crawfish. (laughs) And then he subsequently got this this parasite, which Mm. the doctors were confused because I think it's in Southeast Asia and places like that, and they couldn't figure out why he had it when he'd never left the country. Mm. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, on looking at the fluke, the best way I can describe the fluke is it looks like a caper, the you know the caper that you would use wow. in uh, whatever you use capers for. <laughs> Fancy cooking. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, on fish, actually, is what yeah. I do, yeah. All right, we've got some phone calls to get to, so let's start off by going to Oxford. Brittany on the line. Good morning. Go ahead, please. Are you with us? Are you talking to me? Yeah. Oh, I'm in Hattiesburg. Okay, oh. well... Wrong college town, but go ahead anyway. <laughs> I wondered about uh, Papa Spaniels with um, this, like, black stuff in the ears, and it, it makes the whole house smell kind of like, I don't know, like, it's a very bad, very pungent smell. Right. You know, this is uh, not limited to Cocker Spaniels, but uh, certainly because of the ear, the way it uh, folds down and quite hairy. A lot of times it doesn't get proper Ventilation. On the other hand, this may be an infection as opposed to just excessive wax. You need to see your vet about this. I uh, I would suspect it's going to need some treatment. Well, uh, he did, and he gave us this medicine, but it doesn't doesn't seem to work. Okay. At all, it, it hasn't cut down on the smell, and he still yes. rolls around uh, rubbing his ears right. all over the ground and stuff. Okay. Uh, I would ask the veterinarian, uh, if you could, to do a culture and sensitivity and be sure that we're treating with the right uh, antibiotic or whatever he used. And uh, it, there's something going on here that uh, difficult for me to tell you over the phone, but uh, obviously the medication that he, uh, just, he or she dispensed is not, is not working. So I would get back and possibly get a culture and sensitivity done on the discharge that's in the ear. Okay. Okay. Good Thank luck you. to you. All right. 
Uh, thanks for the call. Let's uh, move on next. We've got uh, Dawn in Brandon. Good morning, Dawn. Good morning. Uh, at the beginning of the program, you mentioned the white squall that had been seen. Right. I wanted to tell you the story of how the white squall came to Mississippi. Okay. And that was my great uncle uh, used to be an avid hunter, and he would go to the North Pole and to Africa, and they would bring in all kinds of spears and animals, and he brought in six pairs of white um, squirrels from Africa, and they have blue eyes. They're not albinos. And that was way, way, way long time ago, but that's how they got started in Mississippi. All right. Good story, Dawn. Thanks for that. That gives a little context to, to that sighting that was uh, that was the one, I think, in, uh, in Ocean Springs. So uh, thanks for that. Let's move on. By the way, if uh, you'd like to join the conversation this morning with a question or a comment, uh, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring I guess on my sightings this, this week, a uh, big fox squirrel was out, and they're moving around, seems like, right now. And uh, anyway, this was traditional kind of reddish-brown but had a blonde tail like somebody had peroxided. <laughs> I've never seen that before. But, you know, traditional color, and then this t- whole tail, big long tail, was blonde. Stylish. <laughs> yes. That, that's a new budding industry would be uh, salons for uh, wildlife. That might be fun. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> uh, next, we've got Bill on the line with a cat question for us. Uh, go ahead, Bill. Yeah, I had a cat about two years ago. Uh, uh, Mama Kitty had one, had, had a bunch of them. Uh, none of the kitties seemed to like me at all, but one little kitten, he was always rubbing on my legs, and I thought it was kind of cute, so I thought I would keep him. That was two years ago. But he's a big cat now, and he's constantly following me around. He is minute I get up, he's between my legs, rubbing on my legs, making me fall down, and uh, the only time he stops is to rub his chin on something. So instead of getting out of hand because I fall him down several times, I wonder if there's anything that you could do but I could do it make him stop rubbing on my legs so much. Wow, that's a good question. Uh, he, he Obviously, he likes you a lot. Uh, I, I would say that, uh, you know, what can you do? Uh, <laughs> yeah. a, squirt, a squirt bottle with water and no, that's about the best thing. And of course, he may find another way to trip you up. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, that's that's a cat thing, and he's he's marking you as his as his possession by rubbing his chin and all that on you too. Yeah. I understand well, what you're saying. He'll, he'll stop for a minute when I accidentally step on his foot, but then he'll <laughs> be right back on me rubbing on my legs. Right. Uh, right. He'll rub on my legs 15 minutes if I just stand there. Well, well I, I guess, guess he just likes me. <laughs> I guess it, he does. Uh, just yeah. be careful. Don't don't fall and break something, okay? Yeah, yeah I'm a dog person. I've always <laughs> heard that cats don't really like people, but I, I'm surprised he's so friendly. Well, yeah. for for this one, he loves you, okay? <laughs> All right. Thanks, Bill, for the uh, call. Yeah, I, it's funny to me because, you know, a cat, my cat, again, will get up in the mornings all excited about getting his food, and he kind of, it's like you, it's the same sort of thing. They love going in and out of your legs, and it's kind of like, well, let's move along down here or down the hallway so we can go ahead and get that. But uh, as Bill said, too, sometimes when you accidentally uh, clip the paw with your foot, that'll that'll keep him out of the way at least uh, briefly. Let's move on next. Got another call. Now we're going to uh, Kathleen in Osaka. Good morning, Kathleen. Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, two little part thing real quick. One, an update on the vultures. They do eat the berries. It's because it's a sunny little hill, and they've got a good view of it from the tree that's about 20 feet apart. So I'll let them have their berries. All right. part of the grass I moved. And I have a question about crawfish. Now I was going to call about this anyway. 
um, when you have like a small gully and it naturally runs water, is there any way you can encourage or transplant some crawfish there, or is that even wise to do that? <sighs> That's difficult. If it doesn't have water in it year-round, probably it's going to be very difficult to get the crawfish to uh, go there. If it were acceptable habitat and you have a gully, in most cases the crawfish will have found it a long time ago and would be there. Um, but, yeah, that's going to be very difficult unless you've got a permanent pond. Now, there are, like I said earlier, there's some that uh, like ephemeral water and burrowing in, in places that don't have water. But uh, down in your area, we don't have any of those that I'm familiar with. All right, Kathleen, thanks for your call. Let's move on. Looks like we got another crawfish-related question from Nick in Mobile. Go ahead, Nick. You're on the air. Yes. Hey, guys. How you doing today? Good. Yeah, hey, I'm allergic to shrimp and lobster and crab, and I was wondering if I would likely be allergic to crawfish, too. Uh, yeah, you probably are. Their chitin is composed of the same uh, compounds, so if you're allergic to these other guys, you're most likely allergic to crawfish as well. All right, thank you very much. All right, Nick, thanks for the call. And another caller, uh, this time it's uh, Aaron in Belding. Good morning, Aaron, go ahead. Hey, I was wondering, um, I've been noticing a lot of barrels around my house because it's been raining a lot, and I've been seeing the crawfish barrels. I was wondering, were those crawfish edible? Well, any crawfish is edible. Uh, It just depends on what size they are. Uh, If they're a half inch, it's going to take a lot of them to have enough for a crawfish boil. But those around your house are probably fairly good size uh, in those wet areas. It's a group called Camberis. Um, the burrows look huge, and, and the um, chimneys on top look huge. But uh, in my experience, Canberras uh, kind of build a bigger burrow than what it looks like they need. So you may get some of those out, go out at night with a flashlight. They'll probably be sitting around on top of the burrow if it's wet. But I think you're going to be disappointed because they're probably smaller than what would uh, you would think based on how, how big their holes are. All right, Aaron, we appreciate that call. Let's move on. A lot of calls on the air this morning. We'd like to hear from you. And if you'd like to call in and join the conversation, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Next, we have uh, Sue in Beaumont on the line. Good morning, Sue. Good morning. Uh, I'd like to ask your guest. Is there any way that a crawfish could be uh, genetically modified, let's say, with um, with with uh, lobster DNA or something, so they can be bigger because they're not worth my time to fool with it? <laughs> <laughs> but they taste good, don't they? <laughs> One species bigger, like, like, you know, big enough, like a, like a mini lobster or something. Well, um, that probably in the next few years would be possible, but I'm not I'm not sure it's a good thing to do because uh, a lobster's um, marine and most crawfish are freshwater. No. So you're going to have to get around that mess, first of all. <laughs> um, but uh, it's, it's you know, a bigger crawfish. Some of the biggest crawfish in the world are in Australia. So if you really need a lobster-sized crawfish, you, you probably need to go to Australia and get some of those big ones. <laughs> and could I ask another question? Not about, not about crawfish. Sure, go ahead. I have a mockingbird who's been singing outside of my bedroom window for uh, almost a month. But he sings night and day, and, and I love him. But uh, are, are, are the 
are the mockingbirds that sing like that under the moonlight or daylight or whatever, are they marking their territory? or And is it the he that's doing the singing or she? I think in most cases it's going to be a male. He's establishing his territory, and he's very, he's very, very serious about it. So he's singing at night as well. Yes, and, and there's no way to stop him. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are, but it, most of them are not um, legal. <laughs> you know, he he sing he sings because he can, and he can sing a variety of songs. Well, and, I've learned his repertoire. By right. now. <laughs> if, if there if there is a light. If there's a light there, I would recommend cutting the light off. But uh-huh. we've had full moon this last week or so, and, you know, I've heard them myself. They they could care less whether there's a light or not if the moon's out. So <laughs> enjoy it. All right, uh, Sue, thanks for your call. We need to take a break. When we get back, we've got some more callers on the line, but we do have some open phone lines as well. So if you'd like to join our conversation on Creature Comforts this morning, just give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring The phone number is one eight seven seven. 672-7464. Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Back before, after this. standing member of MPB Think Radio. We appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Levy Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. We're talking crawfish today with our guest, Dr. Bob Jones, from the Museum of Natural Science. Let's head right back to the phone. It's been a busy day. We love to hear uh, from folks every Thursday morning on Creature Comforts. We start again in Long Beach. Martha's on the line. Hello, Martha. Go ahead, please. Good morning. In my neighborhood, there's a a woodpecker with a red head and spotted wings, and he or she is feeding babies inside uh, the hole on the branch of a tree, but several of my neighbors have lovely cats, and there's one neighbor that uh, compassionate feeds um, several feral cats, and I was just wondering when those baby woodpeckers emerge. Are they automatically flying or like blue jays and mockingbirds? Do they have to be on the ground for two weeks? And is there anything that I can do um, to give them a better chance? That sounds like a pet question to me. (laughs) Well, first of all, you've heard before, if you listen to our show, we we don't recommend uh, feeding feral cats, and that's a whole whole different uh, ball of wax, which uh, it opens up some wounds for people. But uh, they uh, probably very likely will prey on anything that's fluttering on the ground. 
uh, and remember, always remember as far as personal cats that uh, outside cats don't live nearly as long as inside cats for, you know, take that with a grain of salt. But uh, if they're there and the little birds can't fly, uh, I would say that they're fair game and possibly could be eaten. I'm not sure what you can do to uh, prevent that. There's not really much you can do with fledgling birds. Um, some of them, I think woodpeckers, from what I've seen, are a little better at staying off the ground than are things like bluebirds and, and cardinals and some of those. So it may not be that big a problem with the woodpeckers. Oh, we'll hope not, and I thank you all so much. All right, Martha, thanks for the call. Let's move on next. We've got uh, James in Water Valley. Good morning, James. Uh, good morning, sir. I had a question for Dr. Jones. Okay. Uh, is there any commercial crawfish farming done in Mississippi? There is or was in the past. That's generally uh, those operations are regulated by the Mississippi Department of Agriculture. And in the past, there were some um, companies that uh, worked with crawfish. And they're, from what I remember, most of them are doing just what they do in Louisiana. They're, they're raising red swamps. Uh, red swamp crawfish for um, sale to people who are doing crawfish boils. But I'm not sure right now how many are, are still down there. You know, I wondered if it would be possible to, uh, you know, to put your own crawfish pond in where you had lots of uh, uh, crawfish building the little mud castles out in the fields and pastures and stuff. Well, uh, if... And then feed them. If you're if you're going to try to raise crawfish, I do it in a pond. Red swamps, uh, red swamp crawfish uh, are really adapted to ponds and non-moving water. And if I remember correctly, some of the Louisiana folks supplement the feed and um, harvest them that way. They've got these crawfish traps, and when they get big enough, they'll start harvesting them. We have had a, a Mississippi family several years ago on this show that, that talked to us about what they were doing raising crawfish. If anybody knows about them, they might give us a call. All right. Thanks, Jane, for your uh, call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We've got some open phone lines. If you'd like to join in today, call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464, send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Uh, we've got uh, Mikey from Mobile on the line this morning. Hello, Mikey. Hey, good morning. Um, I have a kind of a different question, I suppose. Um, uh, and anybody who can help me, it just occurred to me. I was listening to, um, and we did, you did have a caller earlier um, talking about having an allergic reaction to crawfish. I feel so sorry for him. I do. <laughs> um, uh, but my, and my, my question is uh, more in a, about bugs, um, the, the, you know, bug bugs instead of mud bugs. Um, people who have allergic reactions, um, for example, wasps, like I do, does that, the fact that I have the reaction to them, incur or invite more potential attacks by them? Is there any research done on this that y'all can know of? <laughs> I'm not familiar with any behavioral research on um, that sort of thing. Um, I know um, from personal experience, uh, if there are a lot of wasps on a nest and you mess with that nest, they're all going to come after you. But I've never 
had one just randomly decide that I'm a good target um, out in, you know, if I'm out in the garden or doing something like that. But uh, now I'm not familiar with any research done that would indicate that if you're allergic, they're going to key in on you. More, more than they would on just somebody, say, Dr. Troy. <laughs> I don't. I don't think they're going to key in on you because of your allergy, but they do. As I remember reading, they do release a pheromone right. as they attack, and it does encourage the other wasp or bees or whatever to uh, join in. But as far as you being allergic and they actually sensing that and knowing that, I think it would be uh, nobody. I don't know. If they were attracted to you, it might be because of some scent that you have. If you are wearing perfume, that might attract them or something along those lines. That might encourage them, but they're not going to come in uh, aggressively if uh, if it's just an odor that, that's attracting them in most cases, unless it's an alarm pheromone. And I don't know if any of these uh, perfumes smell like an alarm pheromone or not. <laughs> <laughs> Wasp by Fabergé uh, <laughs> there. Okay. Uh, Mikey, thanks for your call. Here's an interesting email. This comes from a, a listener at Starkville who says, My nine- and seven-year-old sons have been trying to trap crawfish along a small creek that runs into a drainage ditch by our home. Their interest was sparked after spotting the burrows, and they've been unsuccessful so far trapping some. My son Charlie asked if you have any advice on bait or tips to trap them. So far, they've tried small fishing rope with bacon and have even saved up to purchase a small wire trap. Trapping them from burrows is kind of difficult. Um, I have actually used uh, bacon or some other meat material on the end of the line. And the key thing seems to be the water needs to be in the burrow, needs to be up near the surface. In a lot of cases, uh, like the prairie crawfish, they'll come up to the surface of the water and not come any further. Uh, as far as trapping, uh, again, in burrows, that's a little difficult um, uh, a wire trap probably is not going to work unless you put it in the stream uh, and with some bait on it if there's water in there. Uh, probably your their best strategy would be to go out at night uh, when it's moist with a flashlight, and sometimes you'll see them crawling around on the surface. Okay. Also, uh, this says, uh, I believe I've seen a bobcat near the railroad tracks in Waveland. What does their call sound like? Also, the country folks say that bobcats breed with domestic cats. Is this true? As far as their call, uh, they sound like a cat to me. Uh, as far as them breeding with domestic cats, I've heard that a lot, but I don't know if it's true or not. Uh, Dr. Major, any thoughts on that one? Well, there is a bobtail cat, uh, Manx, and a lot of times I've had people bring a Manx kitten in or something like that and thinking that a bobcat mated with the female. And, you know, I guess it's possible, but I don't think it's probable. All right. Uh, let's get a call or two in before our next break. We begin again on the phones with Joanne in Pelahatchee. Go, jo uh, go ahead, Joanne. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Uh, I am dismayed uh, because I have uh, two little female puppies that are three months old, and sometimes they will do what uh, it looks like they're trying to procreate, and uh, it, it's a little unsavory for me, and I, I don't think I should punish them, but how do I get them to quit doing that? Okay, uh, good question, and I understand what you're saying. I guess the main thing there would be that 
Uh, usually they would outgrow that and uh, give them a little more time. I believe she should be okay. However, I did have a 13-year-old chihuahua female that would still act like she was humping my leg, I guess is the best way to put it. But uh, that I can understand why it could be unsavory, but there's nothing that I can tell you to do about it, okay? Other, oh, okay. other than wait and see if they'll outgrow it. Okay. Wait and see. All right. Okay. Thanks for your call, Joanne. Let's take one last break this hour. When we get back, we got a number of phone calls on the line to get to, but some time for you to call in as well at one eight seven seven MPB ring. Our phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four or email the show animals at mpbonline.org. Back to wrap up creature comforts after this short break. for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with uh, Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield is the retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. From the museum, we also have Dr. Bob Jones, who's helping us learn more about crawfish today. We'll head right back to the phone lines, beginning again in West Point. Debbie is on the line. Good morning, Debbie. Uh, You need to turn your radio down and talk to us through your phone, please. Hello? Yeah, you're on the air. Go ahead. Okay, I have a Jack Russell who is a blue merle, which is not good in Jack Russell. She's deaf and has two uh, blue eyes. She has a smell problem. We've had her tested to see if it was uh, bacterial or if it was, you know, anything on her body, and it's not. It's a sickly sweet smell, not a dog smell. I have used every homemade remedy, everything they have in pet shops. Can you give me any advice? Was a blood panel run as far as blood testing? Yes, and she is not diabetic, nothing like that. Okay. But she's been deaf since birth. And Jack Russell's are kind of like um, I understand. your Dalmatians. Yes. You don't want them all white with, you know, blue eyes. It's a little unusual to have a sweet smell, uh, I would say, or a sickening sweet smell, I guess is what you described. Uh, I would suggest changing food, which you probably have already done. But uh, I would try, I don't know what you're feeding now, but I would try something maybe totally different. Uh, If you're feeding anything that's, uh, for example, like fish-based, switch to poultry. Uh, I did. It's uh, uh, eat chicken and rice. Right, and uh, the other thing, only other thing I can think of, but that smells awful. The anal sacs or anal glands uh, can give off they quite. Get they can give off quite an odor. So unless uh, some listener can help us here, I really don't know anything else that you can do. 
uh, but it's a constant smell, right? Yes, and um, when she goes outside, you know, I'll bath her, and if I take her outside, the smell comes right back. Yes, ma'am. And you can't bath a dog every single day. You should. I mean, that's, that's, that's exactly right. Well, good luck to you. I, I wish I could give you more information, but you sound like you've done the things that I would suggest. And uh, best of luck. And if you do come up on a solution, uh, give us a call back, okay? All right, uh, Debbie, thanks for the call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Next, we've got Michelle in Hattiesburg. Good morning. Go ahead, please. Hi, I was calling to respond to the gentleman that asked about raising crawfish in Mississippi. Uh-huh. And um, when the crawfish really begin to take off, you know, for people boiling them in the Mississippi area, we lived on a farm and we had a flat area that was on a creek. And so we dug it out. We plant, we built a dam around it. We um, worked with the farm service agent and we pumped water out of the creek and planted a crop. I think it was like sorghum. And then we flooded it and we went to Louisiana and got our starter um, crawfish, and we were very successful and raised thousands of pounds of crawfish. And people would just come locally and buy them, and they were very large, very clean. I don't remember the kind that we got, um, but it's very doable. We we moved, and so we quit the operation, but it was very successful and can be done. All right. Thanks for the call, Michelle. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We've got a few minutes left in the show and some open phone lines, so give us a call to join in at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 7464 Our email address is animals at mpbonline.org. Uh, Dave is on the line from Natchez, and Dave, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Yes, good morning. Morning. Yes, uh, I come up uh, in Natchez, Mississippi, which is pretty close to, to the uh, New Orleans area, and I come up eating crawfish and uh, blue crab and shrimp, and I just love it all. But I got a blood test a couple of years ago, and I had a high-level arsenic uh, content in my blood, and I had to uh, bag up off them. I don't eat them like I used to. All right, so... Um it could be, I guess, uh, <clears throat> need to maybe double-check where, where the seafood is coming from, but uh, I guess uh, sometimes if there's contaminants in, in the natural surroundings, the, the creatures that are there are, you know, are going to ingest that or something. Yeah, do you have to give them up completely or just he's, not eat? Oh, he's gone. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, Libby, we, um, we've had a couple folks uh, called in that wanted uh, some more details about the events that you talked about uh, at oh, the good. top of the show. So if you could maybe uh-huh. remind us about what, you, what you've got coming up. All right. Let's see. Were they interested in Master Naturalist mainly? That um, you need to go online to register for a Master Naturalist class. It'll start May the 9th and be, uh, let's see, for several weeks there, it doesn't say here exactly how many Tuesdays you meet, but I think it's maybe six weeks you do the Tuesday nights, and then there are four Saturday field trips. And you go to Master, well, if you just Google Master Naturalist Mississippi State Extension, you'll okay. get that. And then the event that happens tomorrow night at the Museum of Natural Science here in Jackson, Mississippi, April the 21st, and it's uh, 6 o'clock to 7.30, and you'll learn a whole lot about birding by ear. All right. Uh, so we're talking today with Dr. Bob Jones about crawfish. Uh, Bob, why do um, 
Why do you have to boil crawfish live? Well, you don't have to boil them live if you don't want to, but uh, it tastes better if they are live when you boil them. Um, that's just the, the way people um, have prepared them historically, and you drop them into the water and they turn red. Mm-hmm. And um, that's just um, that's more of a culinary thing, I think, than anything else. And then most people put, what, corn and potatoes in there, too, I guess, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that's beyond my pay grade. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do they have a mating season? Uh, yeah, they do. Um, and it varies with the crawfish. Uh, we have some that live in fast water in Mississippi that uh, seem to mate during the summertime. And then we have some of the burrowing ones uh, that uh, seem to mate primarily in winter and spring. And uh, that's based on finding breeding form males. They're called form one males, and uh, they molt back and forth from breeding form to non-breeding form. Hmm. And we assume that when you have a bunch of males in breeding condition, they're probably mating during then we have others so it's basically year-round but in different groups it varies okay and uh, we've mentioned the the chimneys a couple of times if you could to tell us about that and, and the purpose for those well basically a chimney is simply a refuse pile that the crawfish dumps out when he's widening or uh, expanding his burrow um, they just uh, will go up to the nearest entrance and uh, chunk out a, a plug of mud and keep going to that same area, and eventually you get a, a, a chimney built up. But other openings to the same burrow will not have a chimney. So it's just the one he chooses to use as his refuse. Uh, and then when he exit. comes back up, that's when he makes <clears throat> the little tunnel through it so it turns in look at, to he a does, chimney. Yeah. It's just a pile yeah. of mud when he puts right. it up there. Yeah. And a lot of times they will plug those uh, later on in the summer when it gets drier or cooler. They'll just plug the top and, and uh, leave them closed. If they don't want to come out, they just... They don't want to come out, yeah. They try to keep the moisture up. Lock the door. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, basically, uh, some of the bog crawfish build elaborate uh, chimneys, and if you see a bog crawfish with uh, a, a, a chimney with a small hole in it, there are sp- some snakes that specialize hmm. on crawfish, and most likely there has been a snake go down into the burrow and make acquaintance with crawfish down in there. <laughs> and it is, uh, if you're digging crawfish into those burrows, it's kind of startling to, <laughs> to grab a snake, <laughs> yeah. which I, I have done. And you mentioned they like to hang out uh, at night on, on the top of the chimneys? A lot of times crawfish are going to be out at night uh, foraging some of the prairie crawfish. Um, any movement by any invertebrates or just about anything will attract their attention. But they're very quick to go back down those burrows. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of times they're not very far from the burrow, unless it's mating season. And then a lot of the males will go out wandering around trying to find females. And we, in many cases, we found those dead the next day because daylight comes up and they're far from home. They don't know how to get back. Hmm. All right. uh, That is going to wrap us up for today. Appreciate uh, Dr. Bob Jones joining us. Uh, This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio, and it's a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Funding provided in part by Wildlife Mississippi, a statewide organization celebrating its 20th year of conserving Mississippi's lands, waters, and wildlife. And from contributions from listeners like you. If you need to hear today's show or previous show, one way to find it is to go to mpbonline.org slash creature comforts. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener today was Sharita Brent. 
So for Libby Hartfield, Dr. Troy Major, and Dr. Bob Jones, I'm Kevin Farrell. Stay tuned up next at 10. It's MPB's Season Pass with Jay White. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio.